Recording in progress. <clears throat> Father, we uh we come before you, Lord, right now in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this gathering. We thank you for this Bible study, Lord, this gathering of the saints, the ecclesia, the, the called out ones, Lord. Father, we just come before your throne of grace. We come before your throne of grace boldly that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, in this time, God, we ask for the grace, Lord, to strengthen us. We ask for the grace to empower us. Lord, I want to ask that you would grant me in this moment grace to proclaim your word, that I would proclaim the Holy Scriptures, Lord, your mind, your thoughts, your will, not only in the attitude of your spirit, but in the strength of your spirit. Father, grant, O Lord, the administration of grace. Grant, O Lord, that your word would go forth as a two-edged sword, and that it would correct, it would reprove, it would rebuke, it would exhort, it would comfort, it would console, it would grant direction. The psalmist cried in, in the book of Psalms that the entrance of your word gives light. So, Father, this day I ask that the entrance of your word would give light, that there wouldn't be any uh, area of our lives or any uh, section of our minds, O Lord, that would be overcome by darkness. But by the instruction of your word, there would be a dispersion, Lord, a dispelling of all manner of darkness, both in practice and doctrine and belief. Father, I pray that we would not dodge the integrity of your word, the illumination of your word, that we would subject ourselves to your word and that we would live by your wisdom. Father, that we would reject and we would shun the ways of death. But we would choose, O Lord, the the ways and the paths of eternal life. Father, cause that our hearts would become wise. Cause, O Lord, for us as your people, the sheep of your pasture, to not be ignorant. And choose, O Lord, uh, the paths of pride and stubbornness and strife and worldliness and flesh and carnality. God, we ask that your spirit would have his way this day, O Lord. Would have your way, O God, in, in our midst. Father, that the power of another world would rest upon me. And Father, I would, as Richard Baxter said in his great book, preach as a dying man to dying men as if I can never preach again. Father, I pray that even as I proclaim your word, that eternity would, uh, as Jonathan Edwards say, be stamped on my eyeballs. Father, I pray that we would live in light of the things that are of eternal worth. And Father, that we would not be so earthly-minded that we are no heavenly good. Father, conform us into the image of your Son. Conform us to the image of your Son. That we would look more like Christ. We would look more like Jesus. <coughs> and our, our hearts, oh God, would be fully... Uh, submitted to your ways. And Lord, I pray that you would grant us Father, strength. Strength, Lord, to acquire joy, self-discipline, peace, and the Holy Ghost. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would 
be glorified. Bring us to maturity. May we not be infants tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Mature us, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <coughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Um, I want to ask that we turn to the book of 1 Corinthians this day. Um, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1. I want to begin at verse 10. And as, as I often repeat myself uh, regarding this, I want to encourage us to have our Bibles. There's an importance in having our Bibles present. And I, it's it, needless to say at this point. Um, so, and and there's something. There's also something else I want to say before we we read this passage, is that uh, I want to exhort us to give uh, the utmost attention, uh, give our undivided attention to uh, the scriptures this day and what God has put on my heart. Um, we aren't here for the entire day, and so um, I would encourage us to exercise a bit of self-discipline, um, to not uh, be on social media or uh, you know fooling around uh, to any extent or degree. Um, and and here here's why it's it's not. Let let me quickly explain why. Um. <clears throat> We, we have to understand when we join that it's not just a group. It's not just a religious group. Um, that this is a defined meaning and it's defined by the, the Holy Scriptures. That God has given us instructions on what He desires to see when we meet. Right, The preaching of the Word. He talks about prayer and the leading by the, the uh, minister, whomsoever is leading. Uh, in whatever context, um, it is now defined as a sacred meeting, a holy meeting. Okay, it's not just, hey, you know, this is church, right? Or it's a it's a sacred meeting, and God places a high value upon that which is sacred. And so, um, if we if we can't give attention to to holy things, right? then what does that reflect of our hearts? It, it's like someone who is, the presence of a king is has joined, and he isn't that important to us, for us to give our undivided attention. And I would say that's a concern, because um, that would indicate that we are losing an awareness of his person, and the value of, Right, um, y- y'all following? Does that make sense? Um, Amen. It, that sort of familiarity. I've I've become familiar with the King of the Universe, and it doesn't matter if His word is being proclaimed. Um, 
I'm just going to go on my phone or I'm so preoccupied with the thoughts of my boyfriend or girlfriend or um, and so I, I, I would urge us to not uh, go that way um, because you're not very far from someone I believe that can easily suppress the conviction of the Holy Spirit and if you become familiar with putting the snooze alarm because if you're familiar with God, it will be easy for you to just hit the snooze alarm to his voice. And I want to warn you of that danger. Keep a sensitivity to the things of God. You want to, you want to know why it is that ministers and people in church to sing worship? You know, when I first came to church, I first got saved. You know, remember like... I didn't grow up in church, so I remember thugging in the streets and stuff like that. And so when I came to the, and my mindset at the time was, uh, I don't want anything to do with church. If if I'm not serving God, there's no purpose for me to go, right? Just no purpose for me to go. And, and FYI, um, you know, for all those churches out there that think that using fog machines and, and these, you know, little worldly tactics are going to get people in the world, um, that I would rather go to a party. I don't care about the fog machines because I've had people when I was in the world invite me to church and they'll say, hey, come on out. It's going to be cool. It's going to be fun. And in my mind, my worldly mindset, I'm thinking, no, it's not. I don't care. I'm I'm not going to step into a church. You get what I'm saying? So when I, had di- when I did give my life to Christ and I did step into church finally, um, I remember some of the, some of the brothers and sisters, they would play worship. And then they would be in the back of the church giggling and laughing. I'm like, "What? Where's the disconnect? I don't. I didn't get it, because I lived my life just over. I was depressed. I, you know, I was. I had no hope left, and so I could not think for the life of me why you're in the house of God and you're you're desecrating. You're treating it as if it's some form of playpen." You're giggling and laughing away and cracking jokes at the preacher, making fun of how he's saying this and how he's saying that. You're in God's house and not even aware of God. Y'all following? You see how dangerous that is? And it's a lot of those people that I know today, they're backslidden. Some ended up in prison. And that's what happens when you're you're half-hearted with God and the things of God. And so I, that's, that, that is at the heart of what I'm warning against. Okay, Don't allow yourself to ever mimic those people. They're lukewarm. Okay, And so <coughs> um, with that said, let, let us get, and this isn't, I'm not accusing any of us. I'm just saying in the event, if you're ever tempted to, just understand that um, that's where that sort of mentality can lead you. Okay, and so now obviously if it's urgent, it's urgent. That's a different story. But let us get to the text. Um, It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another and what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Okay, so... I, and we're we're not done reading because I'll be reading a little bit more. But I want to stop at this verse so far just to break it down. 
So number one, Paul, he is making an appeal. Um, <clears throat> it, it's the Greek word parakletos, which is actually attributed to the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the parakletos, the comforter, the, you know, the advocate. And, uh, well, obviously this is the verb form, uh, kletos, where he is, um, he is exhorting them. He is making an appeal. He's making a strong request and urge. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does? See, when, when he convicts us, that is the nature of the Holy Spirit. He makes a strong appeal, a strong urge. I appeal to you, change your ways. See, um, there are times where God will issue a rebuke and strongly rebuke you. Um, and he has every right to. But that isn't how he um, always administers correction. Sometimes it is through an appeal. It, it's kind of like, um, you know, for example, with my son. I have authority in the home and I can tell my son what to do. And sometimes... Uh, when he's not doing what I ask him to do, I don't rebuke him, especially on the first, you know, uh, you know, the first time of correcting something that he's doing. I make an appeal, son. Um, would you be able to stop, please? No, it, very gently, um, but I'm nonetheless making an appeal. Now, does he really have an option? No, he doesn't. But because. In even though I'm an authority figure in humility and gentleness, I make an appeal. Hey, son, could we stop, please? And and see, the Holy Spirit has authority. You really ain't got an option. You got free will, but you don't really have an option if you want to serve Jesus. He makes an appeal and say, like Paul says in Romans 12, Therefore, in light of all of God's mercies, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, prepare your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. And, and, and it's not an appeal that is unreasonable. Paul says it is our reasonable act of worship. So there's nothing about our worship of the Lord that is unreasonable, like how can you possibly expect for me to do this? Everything within God's command for us to praise and worship Him is within the bounds of reason. God has sent His Son, has given uh, Him at the cross and died for our sins and, and more than that, placed His Spirit to reside in us to give us strength to live holy. Therefore, in light of all of the mercies of God, I appeal to you. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay, so Paul here is making an appeal to us. <clears throat> He's not making an appeal to the world. He is making an appeal to the church. Uh, the, the, um, um, the brothers and sisters, right? Um, and he says this, the appeal isn't on the strength of Paul's name. He doesn't say, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in my name. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, 
You have to understand the significance of that phrase there. If an individual in the church says, I appeal to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, someone might think that, you know, unfortunately today that someone might have too high of a view of themselves. Like, who do you think you are to appeal to me in the name of the Lord Jesus? Right? Now, here's where we, we really have to understand how and why Paul can say something like that. So, with the, Bible, the Greek word name there is the word anomatos. And it means authority. It means, obviously, name. Um, but you have to understand that this Greek word is rooted in a Hebraic, Hebrew-like notion that the name is inseparable. That is to say, you cannot disconnect the name from the essence, the person, the, the personality, and the authority of that individual. Right? So if, for example... Um, Again, I use this example of many times. If someone says stop in the name of the law, we know that the person using that term, using that phrase, is not themselves the law. They are a representative of the law. They are an individual, but they're, they're standing in the place of exercising the authority of the law that is greater than them. Y'all understand? But see, they have authorization. They are authorized to, to command people to obey the law and they will enforce power to effect that change, to cause them to, to submit to that law. And if not, there are consequences. And so, now, not anybody can say this in the church. You have to understand that Paul says... In 2 Corinthians, it says, we, referring to him and Timothy, and the reason why we know it was him and Timothy is because in 2 Corinthians, he lets us know who is writing, right? Who is joined with him in his apostolic mission, right? And he says, we are ambassadors. You are God's field. There's separation. You are the field, and we are the farmers whom Christ has sit into his harvest field. You are the field, we are the farmers. And so ambassadors are legal representatives on the behalf of Christ. What's an ambassador? If, if Now, unfortunately, this is where people, they, they, they get upset because they feel like you're creating ranks and stuff, in which reality, it's not us, it's God that created ranks. Okay, and I understand there can be abuses and everything. I understand that. I get it. Okay, but you have to also understand that to deny that is also a form of an abuse. It will create chaos. If there is no authority in a, a college, if there's no authority in the government, if there's no authority in your home, what do you think will result from that? Y'all had seen not long ago, I know especially those of us in America, maybe those of you in Europe, uh, had witnessed, uh, what was that silly, ridiculous, uh, little so-called sovereign state uh, called Chaz? Where was that at? In Oregon? Uh, remember during the time of COVID, they had uh, uh, revolted, they had, uh, you know, 
rebelled against the, the police officers and the law enforcement said, go, go ahead, have at it. And basically the, there, you know, um, it was an anarchy. There was no law and everybody was equalized. And you see how long that lasted. And, um, you know, um, <laughs> anyways, I just think it, it's utter, utterly ridiculous. But nonetheless, my point, though, is that an ambassador, an ambassador of America, right? That now, everybody in America is an American citizen. But not everybody, not every one of those American citizens are an ambassador. So an ambassador is someone who represents America to foreigners. They will go to, you know, anywhere in the world as an ambassador there and represent on America, have be, have authority to speak on behalf of America. I don't have that authority. Am I an American citizen any more or any less than an ambassador? No. And similarly, Paul here is an ambassador for Christ. He has authority to stand in the stead in the person of Christ and make an appeal to the church and say, stop doing this stuff. Does that, y'all following? Does that make sense? Amen. Okay, I, I would I would prove it by the uh, other text, but I, I'm, that's not the focus of the teaching today. So um, maybe some other time, if you ever have questions regarding that, feel more than free to ask me. <coughs> But nonetheless, he says, I make an appeal to you in the name or in the person or the authority of the Lord Jesus, right? Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, that, so this is the result. This, this is what he's hoping to see, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you. And so Paul is saying, look, in, a, in other words, I want there to be unity, I don't want there to be divisions. I don't want there to be separations. I don't want there to be little groups of factions. I don't want there to be dissension. I don't want there to be chaos. Right? Uh, Jesus made it very clear when he says a house divided against itself, it will not stand. Amen. It, it doesn't matter whether whether it's in God's house. You know, for those of you that live in a house, man, if you want to go homeless, go ahead and go homeless. <laughs> right? But for those of us that want a house, y'all know that you don't want division in a house because what happens when there's division? There is strife. And the Bible says, for wherever comes contention, it says, uh, 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 wherever there's pride, it says there is contention. There is strife. And we know that strife is exhausting. We know strife uh, saps your energy. It saps your peace. It saps harmony. It saps, it, 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 it removes fellowship, the, the joy of fellowship. And so this is precisely why, number one, because God is the God of truth and he has a truth that we must align to. But in addition to that, as the psalmist says in Psalm 133, if I'm not mistaken, how good and pleasant it is that the brethren may dwell in unity. Amen. You know, see, there's some things that are good, but not pleasant. There's some things that the Word of God instructs you on that's for your good, but it's not pleasant. But there's things that the Bible recognizes are both good and pleasant. 
That is to say that it's good for you, but it's also pleasurable. This is why we tend to love fellowship and, you know, everybody will storm together, right? If there's a potluck, everybody loves that. Hey, you know, there's food, there's laughter, count me in. But, you know, I, I really think that fellowship without corporate prayer and surrounding around the word will just result in shallow association. Because there's really no depth rooted in Christ and his word. And it's just a surface level fellowship. We won't ask too much and we won't tell too much. Right? Because I'm afraid that you're going to bring up stuff or beliefs or ideas that I don't want to go there because we're just going to get into a bunch of a disagreement. Right? And so that's not the solution. The solution is to be conformed to the Word of God and His truth. And the more that our minds are shaped around His Word, the greater the fellowship we will have. Because what is fellowship? It's the word koinonia, and it means things in common. And so that's why those... uh. You know, this this whole idea that we can just gather all the churches and get in this huge group hug is just false. It won't work because the reason why is because there's too many preaching different messages. And so while we can get together for a group hug, that's pretty much all we're going to get because we won't be able to go any further because we all have divided opinions about the what about what the Bible says and teaches. Amen, somebody? I, re- I remember years back, I-, I made the mistake of going on and uh, going evangelizing with the cessationist. And, you know, I, I you know, I, <laughs> well, that didn't last long. We didn't get any further beyond the first house. Because I was, you know, uh, you know, he don't believe in the gifts. So the first house, he's like, oh, I think we got to stop here. I'm like, I guess so. <laughs> um, <clears throat> unfortunately, but the point that I'm trying to make here is, he says, he says this, look, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Well, whose mind? It's not my mind. It's not your mind. It's not... Uh, the president's mind. So how is it that we can agree? We have to agree around the word of God because the word of God expresses to us the mind of Christ. The mind of God, the will of God, what he seeks for our, the church to do. This is why you know, um, for those of for those who don't want to follow suit with the scriptures, they're going to run into a problem eventually, right? They're going to run into a problem because they don't want to obey God. They they may even be a Christian. They may even be on the worship team. They may say that they love Jesus, but there comes a problem when you express the scriptures to them, and they say, "Nah, I don't want." Because they've decided to follow with their mind and not the mind of Christ. Amen. Somebody, y'all following? 
And so where where are their divisions? See, we have to understand first of all what is a division? Well, if you if you break up the word beginning with the prefix, you have the di, right? Um d, d you know, divided, division, and the suffix is the word vision. So you have divided visions, you have double visions, you have two visions, two outlooks on what you think should be. And so that's why, you know, in, in relationships, in marriages, in it doesn't matter where it's at. If uh, it, That's why God has only put one head. Y- y'all follow me? Does that make sense? There's only one head and because the head casts the vision whether that's in a marriage or whether that's for a nation there shouldn't be two CEOs there shouldn't be two heads there shouldn't be two uh because if if there is shared equal authority then what happens if both are in a disagreement there has to be one head that casts the vision and the head of the church is Christ Y'all following? And he has appointed under shepherds, uh, uh, under the main shepherd, who is the head of the church, to to uh, inject that vision, to inject the minds of uh, Christ, the thoughts of Christ, the words of Christ, to teach the word of God, so that, according to Ephesians four, that we will no longer be infants tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Oh, you know, this is what the truth says, or this is really what the Bible says, or I heard this minister, I heard this guy said, I heard this false teacher said this. See, there's just a smorgasbord of of all these different things, and the the sheep who don't know any better just are going to be confused. That's why, you know, it's not good to be overcome with too many voices because you don't know what you believe. Amen. Amen. I'm not saying that it's bad to listen to sermons or read books or anything. Um, uh, But before people begin to do that, they should be rooted in the scriptures. They should be rooted in the word of God. Amen. So, again, he he says this. He says... um, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And he says, verse 11, now does that mean that, you know, you have to like the same color as me, and, you know, um, no, or that you're going to have the same exact style as me? No. That's not what is suggestive, but what it's suggesting um, rather, we'll see what actually is the problem that Paul is concerned about here. Verse 11, he says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. So let me just say this real quickly. <laughs> this isn't gossip. Because Chloe's household is like, Yo, Paul, guess what uh, the Corinthians are doing? See, it's not gossip because Chloe's household is is interested in finding a solution to the problem. And so they're telling Paul, who has authority to address them, and says, hey, get this stuff in order. 
I've heard it reported from Chloe's household, and their trust. Now, the word household. Um, remember, the early church often had church in houses. Okay, and so presumably this is a, a, a bona fide church. Okay, and so in some cases churches weren't very big. Okay, but nonetheless. Chloe's household is telling Paul, saying, yo, this is going on among the Corinthians. And so, um, you know, what's the problem? He says, uh, some from Chloe's household informed me that there are quarrels among you. In other words, there's strife. The reason why divisions are existing is because you're quarreling about something. And it, it is, it's, not, it's not a question of what the Word of God teaches. It's not a, hey, we're uncertain about this area of doctrine. What does the Word of God say about this? No, it's not associated with that. Rather, it's regarding a very trivial matter, a very immature thing. And here's what they say. It's, uh, he says, they've informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. <clears throat> you know, the interesting thing here is that you have certain people that are saying, now, there is an appropriate place to say, hey, I follow this minister's teachings. Okay? And... The reason why, and the reason why that would be important to state is because let's assume that the teachings of that minister is biblical, are are one hundred percent biblical. They're great. They're solid teachings, and they say that as a separation from someone who listens to a different quote minister's teachings, but is a false minister. And so I have every good reason to say, hey, no, I don't follow that stuff. I've learned the truth from so-and-so. And because so-and-so, what they're teaching is rooted in the scriptures. But that's not what's going on here. Both Apollos, Peter, and Paul are all genuine ministers of Christ teaching the same thing. So that the divisions among them are not associated with doctrine, but with preferences and minor things and the styles of these preachers. Amen. That is a bad thing. To say, oh, you know, I like this individual's vocabulary. He's very eloquent. I, nah, I don't really like his speech. It's not very persuasive. It's not, it, it, it doesn't have great oratorical and rhetorical abilities. It's, it's not, you know, dressed real finely. And this person has very, you know, plain speech. And it's unimpressive to me. You know, now if that's a personal preference of yours, and you keep it to yourself and you don't divide among it, have at it. I mean, I like I like certain speakers. I like certain styles, obviously. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't either. But what I am saying and what Paul is saying is that is not a reason for y'all to divide among each other. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen, somebody? Y'all awake? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Okay, so um, that's not a good reason to divide among each other. That that is a that is a bad thing. In fact, the Bible talks about in Proverbs that God 
hates when people sow discord among the brothers. That, that's among the, the six things that God hates. It says it's an abomination that someone would sow discord among brothers for these trivial things. Who divides? Satan does. Well, when I say divide, I'm not talking about division of the word because the word Jesus did say, "Don't think that I've come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword." What was that sword? It's the word of God that divides. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing both soul and spirit. It is a discerner of the intents and motives of the heart. So, it, but here again, that's not their problem. The problem is that they're preferring certain speakers. Now, just in, in the event that you think you're off the hook because you're all, yo, I'm not even into all that stuff. I follow Jesus. Paul addresses that too. He says, some of you are saying, I follow Christ. See, those are the super spiritual people that say, oh, I don't got a leader. I got Jesus as my leader. Yo, man, I, I don't get into all that stuff. I got Christ. And Paul is saying, you're wrong too, because that's not true, and you yourself are creating division by that statement alone. Because it, 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 if you're saying, Paul doesn't matter, like, I'm not saying worship or elevate these people, like, you know, bow down, but I'm saying that that is also untruthful to say that God, that Christ hasn't given ministers to the church. And so if you if and then if, if if you don't acknowledge that then that already sets yourself apart from a doctrine that isn't true and a practice that Christ doesn't recognize. And so Paul addresses that. And so, you know, whether you're saying I don't follow human leaders, I'm too good for that. I mean, I, I got a thing with Jesus. Now those people say, Yo, I, I don't do organized religion, I don't do church. But I got my own personalized relationship with Jesus. I know you I know you heard it. Maybe at one time you said it. <laughs> Them and God are just tight. We we is tight. Y'all don't even know our relationship. Don't even go ahead and judge. <laughs> You know, this funny thing about that is when people say don't judge, I always ask them, are you judging my judgment? Are you judging me judging you? <laughs> You're just shooting yourself in the foot, man. You don't see how self-defeating that is. <clears throat> but nonetheless, he says, um, he says um, there's quarrels among you. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, uh, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow John Calvin and, and Martin Luther. and <laughs> I follow Christ. I follow Paul Washer. I follow the first Baptist church down the road. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you are baptized in my name. 
See, unfortunately, you know, people have this tendency, look, because now here's where I want to add some balance. On the one hand, you have the camp and the group that says, we don't need ministers, who cares? They're just, they're just like everybody else. Now, they're just like everybody else in the sense that they're human, but they're not like everybody else in the sense that they're, they're equal because they do have authority in the church. But on the other hand, there is an abuse for those. There's an abuse that we people have to avoid, and it's worshiping, man. And you see a lot of this stuff in Africa. I mean, these people, they do terrible stuff. And I'm not, I'm not bagging on Africa. America got its problems too. But the problem we hear in America is I don't respect nobody. I don't care if you're the pastor. I don't care if you got your degree in theology. It's just me and Jesus. Right? I don't care. I don't care how long you've been laboring in the Lord. I don't care how great of a reputation you've had. You've never backslid, never done shady stuff. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Forget you. Whereas in Africa, at least from my understanding, as you know, someone that has seen a number of things, it's like they bend over backwards and begin to worship these guys. A lot of witchcraft in the pulpits, controlling people, telling them, hey, God told me to give you your, you know, give me all that you own. If not, you disobey Jesus and you're going to hell. Like crazy stuff, right? That, that is an abuse. That is terrible. And so both are bad. Okay? On the one hand, they are not God. Ministers are not God. But at the same time, they do have authority. Okay? And we have to avoid both. You know, and, and man has a tendency, unfortunately, to worship thing anything that is not God. You see, when Paul and... Um, who was it? Paul, I don't know if it was Paul and Apollos. Oh no, Paul or Silas. Or Paul and Barnabas. But they had gone to a specific region. They performed signs and wonders. And the people began to want to worship them. And then what happened is that Paul and, and his ministerial companion said, Don't worship us. And they got mad at them. Or it's like no different than the Israelites who had taken the, the, um, the bronze serpent and began to worship it in the Old Testament. You know, you know, it's an interesting thing. You can even worship this, like the Bible, and not God. And and real, I know that sounds crazy, but the, um, there's a motivation just for knowledge. And you think knowledge is an end in itself, but the knowledge isn't an end in itself. God is the end. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures diligently so that you think in them you possess eternal life. They testify of me, but you don't come to me. So you can stop at the Bible. You have to understand that the Bible is a, a, a finger pointing to Christ. But there's people that they love the Greek, they love the Hebrew, and they just love to store up their heads. And they love to store up information, and that's all the extent of why they study the Bible. Just so that they can know more about God and not know more of God. Amen. But nonetheless, um, uh, what we see here is, uh, <coughs> you know, they, they are... Um, They're having divisions among themselves by trivial things. 
and they shouldn't be, you know, um, dividing over this stuff. Now, he says, verse 15, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Now, that's real interesting, right? Because I'm sure that they had baptized him, right? And said, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or name of Jesus, however they baptized him. I'm going to get into all that stuff. Um, and verbally said that. And then how do you get from that to, I was baptized in Paul's name? Right? I don't, how do you, how do you get there? And, and because sometimes the people's decisions are not rational, they're very emotional decisions. And, and emotions can blind you to logic. Do, do you understand that? Like, that, that's why certain people, like, you know, today think that while they're born a male, they're a female. Like, it's a logical thing. How do you get from that? It's on your birth certificate. But it's an emotionally, it's an emotionally driven decision that doesn't, um, it's not rational. It's not reasonable. It, it's, it's irrational. Amen. Um, no, I, I think, uh, no, I think denominations are a little bit different. Um, but, um, nonetheless, here's another thing I wanted to say for those who are suggestive of the fact are suggestive of this idea that baptism saves. Why does Paul say, you look at what he says right here. Verse 16. Yes. I also baptized the household of Stephanus beyond that. I don't remember if I baptized anyone else for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And he thanks God that he didn't do the baptizing. And he says, God didn't send me to baptize. So now this is the question I often ask those who believe that water baptism saves. If water baptism saves, then the baptism is inseparable from the gospel. Because the, if the gospel is what saves. And if Paul's saying, God didn't send me to baptize. But he sent me to preach the gospel. He didn't send me to baptize. Then, then why isn't there an inclusion of the two? Because that's like me saying, you know, uh, it's like a paramedic that says, I've been sent to save people, but if you're dying of air, God, you know, you know, it's not, it's not my interest to help provide you with oxygen. What do you mean? I mean, that's that's defeating the whole purpose for your commission. You've been commissioned to save people, but <clears throat> but you say you're not doing the very thing that need, people need for saving. Right? Y'all following the logic? If if baptism was water baptism was absolutely necessary for salvation, although let me say it is necessary to obey God because it is commanded in scripture. I'm not saying that it's not commanded. Okay, but it's not what saves. You know, here's one of the questions I ask <coughs> for the because I had come out of that denomination. I got saved in that denomination who believes that unless you're baptized and it has to be specifically in Jesus name. Right now, there's so much that can be said about that. I just don't have the time. Um, again, if you have questions, you can ask me afterwards. Um, there's a lot that can be said about it. I just say, let's baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then at, before we dunk, you say in Jesus' name to just end the dispute. Let's just stop. <laughs> you know, 
And, you know, we, we get, you know, let me just tell you a little bit of, um, let me just inject something. There's an ancient first century um, book called the Didache. And it's a Greek word that means teaching. And this is uh, an, an first century, so not long after the apostles. Th this is probably the successors of the apostles. And, and it was a, is a formalized teaching that was, you know, injected in a book you know because we get so tied up and bent out of shape about the methods of baptism you know in that there's an instruction that if there's no full body of water that you can just get a cup of water and dip it on the per, uh, pour it on the person and that will suffice for baptism i just thought i'd add that in there because today we're like so and you can check me on it it's called didache it was the first century uh early church kind of formula or writings on you know, certain things in the church like fastings. And then the Didache also talks about we don't fast on the day of the hypocrites. What they meant by that is we don't fast on the day of the Pharisees. I think the Pharisees fasted on like Friday and Saturday where the church fasted on Thursday and Sunday. Um, but anyways, that's just, you know, for your information um, if you're interested in stuff like that. Uh, but the point though that I make is this, is... Well, I like to ask, so if someone was on their way to get baptized and they had already repented of their sins, are they going to die and go to hell? And, and and a lot of times people are real iffy about saying yeah because they think that's kind of not fair. They also point to the sinner on the cross. Was he baptized? And they will say, no, it was a transitionary phase from the Old to the New. And so my point was this. Is it easier to get saved in the Old Testament than it was in the New? Because that sinner on the cross didn't even get down to get baptized. And yet his salvation experience was instantaneous. Amen. Now, I'm not suggesting that we minimize the value of baptism. I believe something is very important occurs um, you know, it's a command, but we have to understand the gospel of justification by faith. We're not saved by keeping commands. However, if you're saved, you will keep Christ's commands. And so it's, it, it, it's, it's, we're saved first, then we obey. It's not, I need to obey to get saved. See, the Israelites, when they were led out of Egypt, see, this is how God works. He delivered them from Egypt. He says, let my people go that they may worship me. They were delivered. They worshiped. Then the law was given. So that's the chronological order. God still deals with man. He delivers you from your sin. You respond in thankfulness and worship. Then he instructs you in his ways so that you may obey him. But he saves you first. Amen. You know, when, when Jesus saved me, I couldn't tell you John 3, 16. I didn't know the Bible. All I knew is that I was a sinner and I needed Jesus to save me. And I called unto him and he delivered me. I couldn't tell you theology. I didn't even know what that word meant. I, 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 I couldn't tell you a single verse. I didn't know Proverbs 3, 5, John 3, 16. I didn't even know the books in the Bible. I didn't even know there was a division between books. <laughs> Old and new. 
I mean, I remember when I, when I was locked up, I was reading Jesus' words. I thought he really wanted me to cut off my hand. That's how ignorant I was. I'm like, yo, Jesus, I, I can't do that. Like, come on, just give me the second chance. I'll stop. Amen. Not realizing that the problem is the heart, because you can walk, walk around amputated with hands and feet and be in a wheelchair and still sin. <coughs> so but nonetheless I don't take from this that I'm minimizing baptism it is still a command but my point though is this that you don't get clean you don't obey to get cleaned up Christ cleans you up so that you can obey That's that's why someone can someone can get saved in a dope house. Someone can get saved, and I know this offends the religious, but someone can get saved in a strip club. Amen. Yes, it, it it's it's an ugly place. But remember, Jesus had gone to the leprous. He had gone to the unclean. And when he touched the unclean, it didn't make him unclean. His cleanliness made them clean. Amen. And so as we continue, he says, uh, he says, but Christ sent me to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. <clears throat> Paul's not saying that he's preaching and he's dumbing it down. He's not saying that he's unwise. That's not what he's saying. Because you have to understand that the Corinthians were very... Um, the Corinthian culture was highly what's called Hellenized. Now, I don't say Hellenized like from the word hell. Like as if, you know, the lake of fire sort of stuff. I mean, Hellenized, it's, it's, Hellenization is the influence of Greco thought, the, the influence of Greek thought in culture and stuff like that. That's what it means, that Hellenization meant. And so they were heavily Hellenized, influenced with Greek thought. And among the Greeks, they were prided themselves among their, you know, speech and, Persuasion that you see this in Acts chapter 17. Paul goes to Mars Hill and he um, he's addressing the philosophers, and they 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 spent nothing. They spent all their time uh, in, in in just hearing something new, as the scripture says. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I believe it is. Um, um, but yeah, they spent all their time in nothing else but hearing something new. And so Paul isn't saying, I'm coming as an unwise man. Rather, he's saying, I didn't come in the wisdom as you consider wisdom. Whatever the, the Greeks had considered wisdom and eloquence, it's that wisdom, quote unquote, that I am not coming in. Why? Unless the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You know, today we're doing the same thing. We got a lot of pastors that are using 
uh, entertainment methods. They're using business methods. They're using statistic methods. They're using all these different methods. And guess what it's doing? It's emptying the cross of Christ of its power. Amen. You know, I, I heard uh, recently, uh, well, not long ago, that some guy on a college campus thought that in his he in his pursuit of wanting to be relevant, he started cussing because it would make the worldly people feel more comfortable when he mentioned the gospel to them. Do you see how ridiculous that can get? <clears throat> cussing using swear words while preaching the gospel. Right? Or how about, you know, uh, is trusting in fog machines, trusting in the fancy lights, trusting in circumcision, trusting in this plus Jesus. See, the power of God isn't enough. We need to add this stuff to it. See, this is, now, you may be watching people who do this. And not even realize it. They manipulate you. They manipulate the algorithm. They get the catchy thumbnail. They, they say, hey, wait, wait, wait. Just watch a minute. Check this out. Look at God, the AI. Look at, the, you know, people are forming babies with artificial intelligence. Check this out. Subscribe and watch. Subscribe to my channel, by the way. Or, hey, we got a little group, uh, want to join? They bait you by using worldly methods. And yet, the interesting thing is, they claim the power of God. He so said, we're doing deliverance ministry. But they're not, you're not realizing that they're baiting you by these methods. They're not trusting in the power of God. That's why they fall headlong with all these other ministries doing the same exact thing. And they're just parroting. Look it. Find all these same guys and they're saying the same thing, the same topics on the same trends. And you know what they'll say? They'll say, well, we're just doing this to gain a larger audience so that people can hear the gospel. No different. You're not trusting God. You're trusting methods. And you're emptying the cross of Christ of its power. So because people are now coming to quote Jesus, or really just coming to the, the Christian trend, on the basis of your appeal to them to accept this or or you know the algorithm hacks and all this other stuff and it's not it's not what Paul would do it's not what Jesus would do you know the interesting thing about Jesus Jesus told you to shut up and not tell people and yet what did they do they ran and told everybody he said tell tell no man of this but you know, the, the, but what are we doing today? We're saying, tell this man, tell that man, do this, and and you know, I'm not saying that it's bad to share content. I'm not saying, but I'm saying, where is our trust? Is our trust in our methods, or is our trust in the Word of God? Is our trust in how we slice it and dice it, or is our trust in the power of the Holy Spirit? You know, I'll apply this to anything else. You know, what What about uh, trusting God for a spouse? It's like, oh, well, you know, I, I need this makeup. I need this dress. You know, or maybe I, I got to get a little more buff for for, uh, for my future spouse. 
Maybe she'll like me better if I get buff. I'm not saying it's bad to look good. But again, I'm saying where is our trust lie? Is our trust in those things or isn't our trust in the power of God to act? Y'all ain't following. Amen, somebody? Amen. <clears throat> um, like, you know, mu- a lot of muscles. That's what buff means. <laughs> a lot of uh, muscles. Um, so, in other words, we... we we can empty the cross of Christ of its power. He didn't say he didn't say that they're not preaching the cross of Christ. Y'all notice that he didn't say that these groups are not preaching the cross of Christ, but in their preaching of it, it's emptied of its power. <clears throat> this is why you know certain people they 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 preach the cross, but you know, there, there's there's nothing that accompanies it. Now, here's what he says. It says, uh, verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. So, he's telling you, Paul is already telling you, look, these people, they think it's foolish. If they're perishing, they're going to think it's foolish. That there's nothing wise about this stuff. At all. So why are we going to try to package it so that people will accept it? There is no form of package. I don't care how great of a package it is. If inside that package is a a letter to me that I'm in debt, I don't want to hear it. I don't want it. You can keep it. If I don't like the gift inside the package, I don't care how fine the package is. I don't want it. And now people who want their sin and don't want Christ, doesn't matter how great you package it, they've already determined they don't want the gift. And so it says here, it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. And so, in other words, um, the, the, the wisdom of the world is, falls on its own head. They think that they're wise, but the true wise one is the very one that they miss out on in their, quote, wisdom. And God frustrates that wisdom. God proves that, quote, wisdom to be foolishness. Now, why is Paul now speaking about wisdom? Because they think that they are the wise ones preferring this minister or that minister who has, quote, Greco wisdom, eloquence. And Paul is saying, that's not wise. You're actually subscribing to a wisdom that is earthly. 
a wisdom that is not from God. Because if, if you were all truly wise after the manner of the Spirit, you would not be doing that or thinking that or practicing that. Amen. And so, um, if you look right here in verse... Um, um, Uh, second, uh, First Corinthians chapter two. <coughs> he says this. Um, uh, verse six. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. So Paul is saying, basically, it's not that we're without wisdom, but the wisdom that we proclaim, it's for the mature. And he says, um, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So now be advised that if you subscribe to the wisdom of this age, the Bible says you're going to come to nothing. Amen. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to come to nothing. I want to come to something. <laughs> Amen. And so he says, "No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery. We declare uh, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden, and that God has destined for our glory for time before time began. So the wisdom of God is for your glory. You know, when we say, you know, it was a glorious life he lived. What are we saying? It was a life well lived. And it's not the glory of men; it's the glory of God." And when we adhere to the wisdom of God, when we accept His wisdom, it results in the glory of God being manifested in our lives. I don't want the glory of men. That is shallow and it's fading. I want the glory of God that is eternal and lasts. And he says this, he says, um, verse 8, None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. So, <clears throat> and it says, verse 10, these things, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. So, now going back earlier about Paul saying that there are divisions among you, and that he desired for them to be of same thought and same mind. Same in speech and same in thought, same in mind. But you cannot do that if you're living a natural life. You cannot do that if you're not in the Spirit. Because Paul is telling us that it's only those who are in the Spirit who have access to the thoughts and the mind of God. And the mind that we all need to have is not our mind, but the mind of Christ. Amen. See, and if you don't have the mind of Christ, what you will do is just like the rulers of the age did, and it's crucify Christ and crucify his people. You think that you're doing Jesus a service. Didn't Jesus rebuke Peter because he was not in the spirit when he said, Oh Lord, you can't go to the cross. He says, Get behind me, Satan, for you mind the things of men, not the things of God. Amen. Oh man, it's interesting how many people, how many, how many Christians I have seen that said this and said that and, you know, thought they were offering God service when they said certain things to me. And I'm, I'm thinking in my head, you don't realize how carnal you are. 
how naturally minded you are. So you can even be doing things for Jesus, quote, and still be minding the things of men. You, you think you'd be doing Jesus a service. You're offering him something. Hey, I love you, Jesus. Don't go to the cross. And you're so far off from what God has in mind. Y'all understand? It's like a lot of these YouTube preachers that think it's their uh, uh, objective and their, uh, their mission to rebuke every teacher that they see under the sun. Oh, God has called me. And they're just keyboard warriors. They're just rebuking everybody and anything. But they never check themselves in the mirror. They don't take the plank out of their own eye in order to see clearly to take out people's specs. And they're hurting people. They're not doing the body of Christ of service. Now, now here, here's what he says. He says, verse, um, verse 10 says, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. See, in order to know God deeply, you have to get into the Spirit. You have to get into the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. How do you come to know God more? You pray in the Spirit. That's why, you know, and I say this not to sound proud, I don't say this, but I don't trust people who don't ever pray in the Spirit. Because you're going to be victimized by your own thoughts. You can say what you want, but when push comes to shove, you're going to show that you're more of an emotional person than you are spiritual. Why? Because you'll get bent out of the shape if, if I show you the scriptures. You're going to get mad. You're going to get offended. You're going to cut yourself off. You're going to say you know, all this nonsense. Who told you to do that? The Holy Ghost? Or did the emo your emotions tell you to do that? Y'all following? I'm sure you ever met those Christians that get so reactionary if you show them a verse. And then they, they get angry? Well, let me guess. God is angry at his own word. No. He's not angry at his own word. Then what is in you that is causing you to get angry? You know, I, 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 you know there was someone recently that got mad and upset at me because I said John the Baptist didn't enter the kingdom on Instagram. They got mad. I'm like, what? It's the Bible. He said, the le he, he was the greatest born of woman, but the least in the kingdom is greater than he. So what does that mean? If the least in the kingdom, let's say le least number is zero, is greater than John, where does that put John at? Zero. I don't have time to go further into that, but the point that I'm trying to make is that people get upset if you introduce the word because they're more emotional than they are spiritual. Y'all following? And, and pe people can delude themselves. They can persuade themselves that they're so spiritual because they cried or they got the fuzzies or, the, or these goosebumps or, you know, 
yeah, uh, they, they watched some end time video and they got a bunch of goosebumps and they felt real, I don't know, in tune with something. But then when you, but when it comes to maturity and integrity and sincerity, th- it's absent from their life. And that's, that's not maturity. They quarrel about little things, you know, about, you know, what Paul is addressing here. But uh, going back to this, though, he says, um, for who knows the person's, and we're coming to a close here. Uh, for who knows the person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So you know what he's saying there? He's saying this. How do you know your own thoughts? You know it because of the Spirit that is within you. Your Spirit. I don't know your thoughts. And you don't know mine. Because I have my Spirit, you have your Spirit. And your Spirit gives gives you consciousness. What is consciousness? Con, which means with. Or, uh, and then science, which means knowledge, with knowledge. And so your spirit gives you knowledge of your own thoughts. So you cannot know the thoughts of God unless God puts his spirit inside of you. Does that make sense? So you, you can philosophize, you can think about, you can, you can try to reason your way to God, but unless the Holy Ghost is in you and gives you revelation, you won't have access to the mind of God. And so if you are not minding the things of the Spirit, you're setting your mind on the things that please the Spirit, what the Spirit loves and what the Spirit uh, enjoys, then that is an indication that you are more natural and emotional than you are spiritual. Because for you to be spiritual, the thoughts of God have to be in your mind. It has to govern your mind. It has to lead you in your action. It has to become the, the, the affections of the heart. To not have your mind set on the things that please the flesh or, the, or please the world, but to please God. And he says this. <coughs> verse 12. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So in other words, if you haven't received the spirit of the world, then you shouldn't be acting worldly. And what is Paul considering worldly? That you're dividing among yourselves because you prefer this minister above this one. Because you like the way he talks, or you like his style. Right? Or how about you're dividing because of race? You're dividing because of ethnicity. You're dividing because maybe certain people in this group are of a different culture than you and you don't like it. Amen? Amen. Maybe they have a different personality than you. And you're dividing over things that are not godly. And that is not pleasing to the Lord. It's not. It doesn't please his heart that we would quarrel, that we would be divided. We're supposed to be modeling to the world what it looks like for people to be unified in love. And if we can't get it right, you think the world's going to get it right? Of course not. Or how about harboring offense, harboring unforgiveness towards your brother, towards your sister? 
And it, it, it doesn't occur to you that Jesus shed his blood for them. That Jesus shed his precious blood so that your brother or sister can be welcomed in the fold. But that doesn't matter to you. Because why? They don't talk like you. They don't look like you. They don't have the same personality as you. So you'll divide. You're not spiritual, but it's carnal. It's the thoughts of men. You don't you see it going on in our world today here in America? You're trying to reintroduce segregation? You're the white man. You go sit over there. We, we got a, a black space, or we got white space, or we got Indian space. All of that is nonsense. Those walls need to come tumbling down because Jesus, by his shed blood, broke that wall down that we would become one in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Demons don't divide. They're all together trying to make your life hell, trying to ruin your life, trying to cast you to hell. And they're working together, working hard to see to it that you will, will, will plummet, uh, plummet to hell. <clears throat> but the house of God is in shambles and we're not getting it correctly because we're divided over these trivial things. Amen. Hallelujah. I feel the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost is speaking to us. The love of Jesus Christ. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Ghost that has been given unto us. Don't destroy the faith of those for whom Christ died. And maybe some, some of us need to get a taste of how it was in the world. With backstabbers. I mean, I, I've done, you know, I've, I've been done completely dirty in the world. And I, I've done people very dirty in the world too. People that I claim were my friends. And, and I say that because today in the Church of Jesus Christ, you have people who, who, who love you with the love of God that, that might get on your nerves sometimes, but does that really matter? Is there a comparison between how the world treats each other and, 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 and how we treat each other in the church? Amen, brother. We have the love of God. We have the, the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be mourning when, when each other mourn, weeping when they weep, rejoicing when we rejoice. Amen. You know, I, I can say it, you know, when it comes to all of us here, to me, it doesn't matter if you're different, if you got a different background than me. My heart goes out to all of you in love. It brings joy to my heart. It brings joy to my heart that you, you would have a different background and you won't allow that to divide us. Why? Because Christ, Christ is whom we have in common. Amen. It's Him. Hallelujah. <coughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you for your presence. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Oh, man, I, I feel the, the urge of the Holy Ghost. I feel the urge of the Holy Spirit making appeals to us. <laughs> he, 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 want, he wants a temple to be compacted together, fitly joined together, so that He can dwell in our midst. He can make His abode among us. He desires and longs to dwell in this new temple that we call and He calls the church. But there won't be a temple constructed if we as living stones cannot be compacted together. Oh, hallelujah. When you divide, you're separating yourself from the temple of God and you're saying, I, I, I don't want to join with those other living stones. It matters not to me that Jesus made a high purchase on me. I want to do this thing myself. I want to be the only brick by myself. No, God forbid. He has joined us together. <coughs> Thank you, Jesus. So what? You can join with the world who hates you? Who crucified your Christ? So you can join with them? You can join with the strip club, the bars, all these other people who blaspheme the name of the Lord? But you can't dwell among God's people who give Him praise every Sunday, every Saturday, every Wednesday? You'd rather dwell among the pagans who blaspheme Him, but can't come together among those whom praise Him, who give Him glory, who, who rejoice in His name with tears shed down their eyes when they think of the goodness of God and the sweetness of Jesus Christ and the blood that He shed for our sins. Amen. How good and pleasant it is that God's people would dwell together in unity. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. <coughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for speaking, Lord. Oh, God, we are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. We are your people and we are the sheep of your pasture, Lord. You're the great shepherd of our souls. Bind us together in love and harmony. Help us to maintain the unity of the bond of peace. Forgiving one another even as Christ has forgiven us. Hallelujah. <coughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Verse 14, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
And so what is Paul's argument there? People take this out of context. They, they, they think, you know, they, they cite who has, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the thing God had prepared for those who love him, as if we don't have access to that. But in verse 10, he says, he has revealed those things to us by his spirit. And then verse 16, it says, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. And so th that that is almost taken as if, well, I can't know the mind of God. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. But you know, in Isaiah, in context, he says this. He says, his thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. But then immediately after that, it says, therefore, let the wicked man forsake his thoughts and the evil man his ways. So the point is, yeah, for the wicked, the ways of the Lord and the thoughts of God are not his. But here in this text, he has given you his spirit. We have received the mind of Christ. <clears throat> he has given us his spirit so that we may have revelation of the things that have been freely given unto us. Amen. And you can only discern these things by the spirit. I'm, I'm going to read uh, one last verse. Well, maybe two. Uh, Jude chapter 1 verse 19. I, I just want us to see how God looks at division. <clears throat> Jude chapter 1 verse 19 it says this. These are the people who divide you. Who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Ah, these people are natural. What comes from the nature, the human nature? Natural emotions, natural thoughts. And we're not going to read the whole context, but you'll see that God doesn't like this. Okay, look at uh, Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, verse 17. <clears throat> I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. So you know what Paul is saying? Those who are causing division, watch out for them. He doesn't say ignore it. He says, keep your eyes on those people. Mark them. Watch out for them. Again, read again, I urge you. In other words, this is an urgent thing to watch out for those who cause divisions. <clears throat> um, let's read one more. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 19. And here, here's actually a pretty alarming thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, same letter. Verse 19. What does the word of the Lord say? It says, No doubt there have been, there have to be differences. Depending on what translation you read, it might say there has to be factions or there has to be divisions among you. To show, it says, among you to show which of you have God's approval. Or in other words, maybe we could get the ESV translation. Um, babe, and um, I, I want to see what that one reads. The ESV. 
For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. <clears throat> so in other words, when people start causing divisions, that is an indication they are false. They are not recognized. And it get, <laughs> I have to break this down to you because we're so, I'm not saying you all, but I'm saying the church at large are very ignorant and biblically illiterate. They don't have a clue of what this means. Okay. <clears throat> so recognized by, by whom? Recognized by the government, recognized by the FBI, who, rec recognized by who? God, first of all, but also by the church, the elders. This is why you know, someone couldn't just pop up in the church and say, God sent me to come and speak to you. Paul talks about letters of recommendation. And then in 3 John, or I think maybe 2nd or 3rd John, John talks about this guy named Diotrephus who did not receive those whom John had sent to them because it says he loves preeminence. And so th there's a network of, 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 of approval. You know, this minister approves that person, this, this minister approves that person. And so there's a network of people that recognize those who are false and those who are genuine. And so if Paul is saying this person is unrecognized, that is to say they have no authority, they have no part in what we are doing. Does that make sense? It's, it's no different than a, 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 a true, genuine officer that has recognized an imposter. He said, we don't recognize him among our own. He doesn't share in our authority. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Y'all following or, or do I need to break that down some other way? So what Paul is saying here, he says, those who are causing factions among you. It says, for those... For there must be factions among you. The reason why he says there must is because Jesus says, don't, he says that there will be wheats among the tear, goats among the wolves. There must be this. It's inevitable. There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So the fact for those who are maintaining unity and striving for unity, that is indicating you're genuine. Does that, does that make sense? So those who are striving to maintain the unity of the apostles' doctrine, the you know uh, the, the 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 scriptures, the the unity in the church, those who maintain that are recognized as genuine. Those who are causing factions and divisions are unrecognized. They are not approved. In other words, they are rejected concerning the faith. Heavy words, right? Heavy words. That's why, you know, Paul says Hymenaeus and Philetus is making shipwreck of people's faith. You know, he talks about Alexander the coppersmith. You know, he talks about how, you know, there's a rejection of them, right? And so <clears throat> here, here is the final verse. And this is, and I, I give you my word, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11.
Where is this at? Oh boy. Okay, found it. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Um, and so we'll stop there, actually. The point, though, he says, let this mind that be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, he humbled himself. He humbled himself and became his servant. And so, in closing, I want to say this. <clears throat> For those who don't, have, who, who don't have a servant's mindset, they're not going to have an... They're, they're very selfish and selfishly ambitious. And they will do selfish things for themselves and will even go against the body. Uh, you know, they, they, will, they will defy um, anything that is profitable. They will reject anything that is profitable for the whole and they will only concern themselves with me. What I want, what I think. And that's not what Paul is wanting us to do. He wants us to have the mind of Christ who didn't seek to be served, but came to serve. And so my challenge to us is this. Will we espouse the mind of Christ? Will we adopt his mindset? Will we, will we take uh, our old ways and say, I'm releasing them. I'm no longer... Uh, seeking to to assert my ways but rather i'm going to take the ways of god make it my own learn from christ you know have his mind in my in, in me so that i can mind the things of god mind the things of the spirit and strive to to maintain the unity of the bond of peace and that we would be of the same mind and same judgment that is that of course is informed to us by the scriptures that's how we have the mind of god through the holy spirit and through the scriptures and so i want to i want to close in prayer <clears throat> father we come before you lord and we just ask in jesus mighty name that we would be united in the mind of the spirit that we would be united o lord in the things of the spirit Father, I pray uh, that you would help us to release all that is carnal and all that is ungodly. Father, cause us, O Lord, o Lord to learn from your ways. Cause us, O Lord, to um, not live in a worldly manner, to not be divided over trivial things, to not cause factions and divisions among your holy people. Father, I pray that we would not have an isolationist mindset, that we would not seek, O oh Lord, to be uh, isolated members of one body. For, Father, we know, O oh Lord, that you have called us together to be complementary, to complement one another, to weep when we weep, and to rejoice when each other rejoices, to uh, bear one another's burdens, and so therefore fulfill the law of Christ. 
Father, may we fulfill the law of the liberty of, uh, of the Spirit. May we fulfill the law of Christ. May we, O oh Lord, walk in the love of the Spirit. Father, change our minds, change our thoughts, that we, O oh Lord, would have your judgment, would have your mind. Help us, O oh Lord, to walk in the Spirit. And may your word abide in us and we in you, proving ourselves to be your disciples. Help us to abide in your love and your love abide in us. Father, I pray, strengthen us in the inner man. Help us to obtain maturity. And may we be um, patient in tribulation, constant in hope, and, and fervent in prayer. Father, bless us. Help us. And strengthen us, Lord, according to your word. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Recording stopped.